G'day countrymen, welcome to Phoenix Rising, the Alec Dumaji Chronicles. I'm Alec Dumaji, enjoy the show. Maragani you mob, Maragani wherever you are, Maragani in our native tongue from the Wanyi, Gado and Gangla, the people, especially the Gangla and Wanyi mob, Maragani means hello, how you doing, uh, goodbye, good luck and we'll see you later. It, it's kind of an encompassing word that kind of greets and also farewells, well not really farewell, we don't really have the, um, I guess words in our lingo that says goodbye or see you later, it's more um, I'll see you again soon, or hey, until next time, or hey, until we see you around that fire camp. So, welcome back to the fire camp here on Phoenix Rising. If this is your first time at this dance, or at this corroboree, I should say, my name is Alec Dumaji. Uh, my tribal name is Jadbagala, which means the Wedgetail Eagle, and I hail from three uh, Aboriginal tribes here in Australia, in the lower Gulf of Carpentaria, which is about seven hours' drive north of a mining town out in the uh, Queensland outback called Mad Eyes. I'm from a little place called Dumaji, but the tribes I'm from are the Wanyi tribe through my father affiliation through adoption and my bloodlines through my mother, the Gangalida and the Gadawa tribes. And a big hello to all my mob up in that lower Gulf region that might be tuning in. Well, we're moving along here on the Alec Dumaji Chronicles, stories about my life, um, experiences that I've had, and I guess, uh, you know, growing up and, and, and my career and where I've gone to. So I think the last time from episode two, the birth of an eagle, we got up to uh, when I finally got to the Sydney Olympics in the year 2000 to meet a legendary uh, Aboriginal media um, personality by the name of Tiger Bells. But let me tell you, it wasn't easy. I was uh, living and working in Mount Isa for Mob FM radio station, which is an Aboriginal station, um, but uh, also plays a lot of uh, you know uh, country music and 80s and 70s music, and uh, that's the sort of stuff I was brought up with. I was living there with uh, my then, I guess, wife, an Aboriginal lady called Elizabeth. She was Elizabeth Cubby, and we, had, we ended up having five children together, believe it or not. We had our first child, Nadia, when we were only 16. We had uh, our second child, Demi, Demetrius Dumaji, when we were 20 years old in 1996. Then we went on to have Zach, our oldest boy, 1998, and in the year 2000, before I was heading off to the Olympics, the night before, I was in the hospital uh, with Elizabeth. She was getting labor pains and was about to give birth to our third baby girl, Miss Brooklyn Dumaging, who, believe it or not, starred in the uh, film Top End Wedding alongside Miranda Tapsell and Ursula Jovic. She's the one at the start of the film that's in the wedding dress that runs away and jumps on the boats and, take, and takes off. So that's my daughter, Brooklyn Dumaging. She was born... In the year 2000, September, the 13th of September, and the night before I had to fly out to the Sydney Olympics, I was up all night at the Mount Isa Bay's Hospital with my then wife, Elizabeth. Um, she was uh, having labour pains and was going to go into labour. Unfortunately, I didn't get to witness the birth of young Brookie because she didn't want to come that night. Um, and the next day, I flew out and, and landed in Brisbane, where, uh, sorry, in Sydney, where I was, and my first time in the big smoke, I've, I've never been, you got to remember, like, I was, a, I was a bush boy, I was a proper bush kid from Doomagee and from the wine, you got a land trust, so this was a big deal to me, to fly all the way down to, uh, to Sydney and to meet one of my heroes, you know, Tiger Bales. I flew from Manizer to, to Brisbane, got a connecting flight to Sydney, and I get off at the airport and Tiger Bales is waiting for me, um, along with this young, uh, I guess, radio announcer called Belinda Miller, who's gone on to work for NITV these days and become a, 
I guess, a television per, uh, a producer and director in her own right. But she used to work for 98.9 FM back then. I think she was only 18 or 19 years old. I was 24, uh, coming from the bush, um, straight out of the scrub and, and into the big smoke. But Tiger met me and he just uh, loved my personality. And from the, from the moment we, we met, I just... I guess I fell in love with who he was and, and what he was about and what he was representing and, and I really wanted to, I guess, learn from him and, and, and gain some knowledge and hopefully wisdom along the way. But back to the night before, young Brooklyn wasn't born and it wasn't until a couple of days later, I believe, whilst I was in Sydney, that her mother went in and, and went into labour and gave birth to her on the 13th of September 2000 while I was down in Sydney attending the Sydney Olympic Games. Now, i got to tell you, being a field reporter for the National Indigenous Radio Service, live broadcast of the Sydney Olympics was one of the highlights of not just my career, but of my life. And it gave me a worldly view on um, all of our matters and all of our issues. And, and I guess a worldly view on where we stand or where we, uh, our position on the world stage. So the Olympics was going to be a big, beautiful, you know, um, celebration of multiculturalism and arts and dance, music. And we got a lot of more, a lot of our people that were working in the system, and they still work in the system now. And and a lot of them uh, have a very, I guess, different view to me, and, and different view uh, with their experience with, I guess, system systemic racism and systematic racism and institutionalized racism, and and I guess the oppression of our people. So, you know, I don't um, hate on them or or, or certainly uh, uh, devalue their opinion on their lived experience. I'm just talking about my lived experience and, and the way. I was treated coming through and what I've seen. And, and certainly the Olympic Games in the year 2000 was an opportunity for me to see different Aboriginal mob from around the country. I got to meet people from Galari Radio. I got to meet people from, you know, uh, the Noongar country, um, you know, Adelaide, Melbourne. It was such a collective, uh, you know, an eclectic group. There was a real big collective of this beautiful vibe of black media happening and we were going to fight for more radio and you know, television was being spoken about. The early, I guess, um, uh, conversations around NITV and the National Indigenous Television Service um, and Tiger Bells was, was at the forefront of a lot of those conversations. And I learned quite a bit about, um, you know, how to negotiate and how to deal with both the white side and the black side from Tiger and just watching him do his thing. And he was such a big, powerful, staunch kind of warrior man. A lot of people, I guess, got scared of him because, you know, he had a bald head and he was a big following and you know, about five or six brothers that was just as big as him and as crazy as him. But he had such a gentle, loving, soft heart and, and, and a real gentle giant and someone that I admired for a long time and I was so honoured and proud to be working with him at the Sydney Olympics. It just blew my mind. I was, I was walking with a giant and I was, and I was working uh, with a legend and someone that I'd looked up to. You know, him and uh, Auntie Maureen Watson, his mother, I met her on the trip back. He made me stop in Brisbane because he wanted to convince me to move to Brisbane, believe it or not. Um, established, you know, 98.9 FM, Murray Country back then, and Uncle Ross Watson, you know, and these are people that I, I, I look at as not, not just my family, but my blood and people that have really installed a lot of values in me and taught me a lot about our people and how to behave and how to represent our people properly, not just in the media and not just when those lights are on and the cameras are watching you, but when they're off and when you're, you know, when they need you the most, when they're down and out, when they're being kicked in the teeth. Our mob has always been ones that do things and uh, go out of our way to give a bed or a feed to our mob or a cup of tea um, and certainly do things that didn't get pats on the back or the accolades and, and these people certainly taught me that. But I, for the first time I saw black politics in, in action in Sydney and, I, and I've seen, I guess, a lot of mob come together at a big protest there at Victoria Park and right where they have Yarbin 
where the Yarbin Festival is had in in, uh, in Sydney. My first time I went there, at, uh, I think it's the, where the university is, was there was a big protest going on there. And I seen I seen a brother of mine called Robbie Beckett. Robbie Beckett used to he's a Wurrabinda brother, and I met him through the BRAC system when he was working in Townsville for you know for Tamar up there, Townsville Indigenous Media Association, and uh, he was doing a lot of work with 4K1G back then, but. He was down there for, for this protest, and I remember him there with the mob from Murabinda and Rocky, and you know, he was doing a bit of work, uh, I believe, with Stacey Miller and the mob there running uh, 4US, the Indigenous radio station in Rockhampton. I almost moved to, to Rocky. I got an offer a job there with them mob as well. I went down for a two-week stint, but I don't know, it just didn't appeal to me, Rockhampton. It, wasn't, um, uh, uh, it was like moving from Mad Isa to another Mad Isa, so I ended up not taking that opportunity to move to Rockhampton. But um, uh, back to my relationship with Tiger. The opportunity to work with Tiger and to have, have uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a more deep and meaningful relationship with him, in, you know, I guess, um, won the day. But the Olympic Games were in Sydney. Young black from the bush. Wanya Gadawa, Gangla the man, down there living my dream, doing broadcast in Sydney. One problem. I don't know how to use the train system. I don't know how to use the bus system. And I'm a field reporter. <laughs> I'm a field reporter. My job is to go out to events, interview uh, athletes, talk to people, and do live crosses for the National Indigenous Radio Service and go live across the country. Back then, we had these new butte little that we thought was deadly. We thought it was the deadliest thing ever gone. You had these little mobile phones. Remember the old Nokia phones or whatever? Um, Jerry Pine, who was the who was the uh, tech tech guy for for NERS back then, uh, yeah, they came up with this way where you can call the phones and you, you patch it through and you can do interviews and go live to air. And I'd be out in the field doing my field reporting. And, you know, um, the first day they took us down to Darling Harbour where the media centre was set up. And um, I sat there, I was scared. I was scared. I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do here? These, I don't want these mobbed down. But I was sitting at the media centre and um, starting to meet people and telling people who I was and where I was from. And Actually, the first, got to be honest with you, the first day I sat in the corner and did nothing and just looked around and said, oh, no, I'm, I, I can't leave you. I'm going to get lost. I was so scared I was going to get lost and end up you know, on the bad side of town. So I just sat at the media centre and I did nothing. I got on the night and had a feed and Tiger goes to me, you right? What's going on? You look like a deer in a, you know, caught in a headlight. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, Tiger, I don't think this is for me. I'm a little bit scared, you know, like I was sitting at the media center all day and I'm not sure. He goes, he goes, you'll be right. He goes, just tomorrow, just let that little fella out. Let it, he's there, I can see him. Let him out. Let him go for a walk. I know you like having a yarn. Just do what you could do. Just do what you do, Alec. That's why I brought you here. I see something special in you and I believe in you. So the next day I took that advice on board and I went, you know what? He's right. Let my little yarning fella come out. You let just, just be me. So I sat there at the media center and I saw Maurice Green, the world record holder in the in the hundred meter sprints. And uh, I think there was a five, uh, who else was there? I was going to say Ado Carr, then Josh Ado <laughs> Josh, of course, plays for the Melbourne Storm with a rugby league team, nothing to do with sprints. But I saw these, you know, um, uh, these amazing American sprinters that I'd watched on TV. So I just went up to him and I started talking to him. And Maurice Green was my first interview. So I said, brother. You know, welcome to Australia. I'm an Aboriginal for blah, blah, blah. And he just embraced me and we started chatting. So then he introduced me to another sprinter and another sprinter. So all these black American sprinters, you know, was there with me. And, and I'm interviewing them. And I'm going live on nerves around the country and, and the, the buzz from it and the power from it and the importance of that moment. I'm bringing these people into the living rooms and lounge rooms of every Aboriginal person in the country. And I was their voice and I was there asking questions that represented them. And all of a sudden, I started just feeling this buzz and I'm soaring and I'm flying. And I'm going, oh my God, this is what I, this is my dream. This is what I always want to do. 
and I'm here doing it. Then I'm standing there and, and Sophie Monk and Bardo walks past, this new singing sensation pop girl stuff that happened on TV, and I grab Sophie Monk, and I'm talking to her, and I'm talking to her, the other girls, and I'm going, hey, you know, what do you think about the Aboriginal blah, blah, I'm saying all, all these questions, chucking them. Sophie Monk just looked at me like, who the hell is this? But I was on fire, and I was, I was a light, and I was living my dream, and I was in Sydney, and I was at the Olympics, and I was, I was talking to superstars, people that I'd, I'd only seen on TV. I walked up to, uh, uh, what's her name, the, 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 the actress uh, from, from Muriel's Wedding, Sophie, uh, she was on, and back then I remember her from like Saturday cartoon, she was on the cartoon show on Saturday, so I walked up to her and I think, I, think, I don't know whether Muriel's Wedding's just happened or it might have been something, but um, Sophie, I can't remember her name, anyway, but she's a blonde chick, she's a, she's a mean chick in Muriel's Wedding. I walked up to her and started interviewing her and having the biggest chat with her. And she said, I just finished shooting a film. And, and I didn't even know what the hell a film was. All I could kept talking about, kept saying to her was, I remember seeing you on the cartoon show on Saturday. And she looked at me, she looking at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> but again, I felt alive and I felt like I was there representing my people. And I was, I was their voice. I was getting beamed into Papanya out in the Northern Territory, you know, Murujulu at the foot of the rock. They were taking me into karma. They were taking me into, you know, I was up in the Torres Strait Islands. So my voice and my questions was representing all of our people, the bloodlines, the, 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 you know, bloodstream of this country. And I was, I was the heartbeat down in Sydney asking the questions and pumping out this information to them all, pumping them out. And I just felt so alive. And it just was inspiring to do it. And, and it, was, it was one of the most amazing, profound moments of my life to finally find who I wanted to be in my career and, and what I wanted to be and how I wanted to do it. And it was that moment, you know, and um, I had some very, very special times there in Sydney. And, you know, the next, th that same day, I said, I'm going to get on the bus. I'm going to get on the trains. I'm going to figure this out. And I did. You know, as the days went on, within the next three days, I was at Bondi Beach reporting on Natalie Cook and, and uh, I can't remember the other girl's name, but they were down there doing the beach volleyball. So I was down there you know, doing a live cross to the beach volleyball. You know, next minute I'm out at Olympi Sydney Olympic Park and, I'm, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the javelin throwing and, and long jumps. And it was just crazy that I was doing all this stuff. This little bush kid from Doomadji, from the Wainia Gatawal Hand Trust. I grew up with nothing. I only went to school when he was like, you know, 10, 11, 12. And I, I, was, I was 12 years old when I first went to school, really full time. So all of a sudden, this little kid can do it. And, and he's out there and he's doing it with the little bit of education he had and, he, and, and it was just important that I had that moment because it, it made me believe in my self-worth as a, as a person and it made me belong somewhere all of a sudden. I was this family. I, was, I belonged to this family of Aboriginal renegade, you know, um, protest radio media people that were bringing the truth from the people. Anyway, I'm going to tell you about a couple of really inspiring moments that happened to me during that time. Um, it was a week into it, and I said to Tiger, I said, oh, I want to have some time off. And he said, you get a night off tonight, so how about I take you to the Star Casino? And uh, it's right beside the media center. We're going to go there. We're going to play poker machines and hang out and rah, rah, And I said, oh, I'm, I'm not a big gambler. Cause I, I'm, I'm still not. I, I, I get really nervous when I lose 20 bucks in a, in a poker machine, and, and that's, all, that's the way I've always been. So I come along with Tiger and the crew, and we're all there, and, <clears throat> you know, we've got... Um, Oh, Michael Lang, uh, I remember like Tubby, his name was, from out at Alice Springs. And there's a fair few fellows from out that way that you know, to, to this day, I wish I knew where they were, what they're doing. But if you're listening in, Michael, big hello to you, all your family. I, I, and if any more about there that know Tubby or Michael Lang, I remember him from the Sydney Olympics. He was an amazing fella from out Alice Springway doing radio. 
Um, anyway, we get to the Sydney, we get to Star Casino in Circular Key, the, not Circular Key, um, Darling Harbour, <clears throat> where Darling Harbour is, right beside the media centre. Now, across the road is where they were holding the boxing, the Sydney Olympic boxing. And believe it or not, um, I love boxing, I always have, and it's something that, you know, Tiger and I connected on too, because Tiger and I would go to boxing, we'd, we'd go to fights together, he'd come pick me up, we'd go watch Chuck Mundine fight, or we'd go watch, you know, Costa Zoo fight, it was, it was our thing, meaning we'd love watching boxing together, and, and we'd talk, and, you know, just talk absolute rubbish about fighting and boxing that we probably didn't, knew, knew nothing about. Hang on a second, let me get some water into me. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> need to clean my throat a bit. <clears throat> so, we're at the Star Casino, um, everyone's on a poker machine. I don't know nothing about how to use them. I said to Tiger, is there a nightclub here where I can go and have a couple of drinks and have a dance? He goes, yeah, downstairs there's one called a cave. So I walk down, I go up to the bar. Back then, in those days, Alec Dumbledore was drinking what is called Bundaberg rum. Now, just for all our international listeners, Bundaberg rum is like rocket fuel or jet fuel. It's very potent, very high in alcohol, and it's normally drunk by the bucket loads by most Australian people in the outback. Now, I was living in Mount Isa, so if you didn't drink Bundaberg rum, basically, you were a girl. You weren't a man. <laughs> Although there's a lot of women, I can tell you right now, that drink more Bundaberg rum than men. I just want to put that out there. I'm not, I'm not dissing the ladies. I know you more can put away your rum. So I walk in, I go up, and I order my Bundaberg rum, and I'm standing down, half shot, half drunk, you know, and, and the nightclub floor is pretty empty, and not too much people around to talk to. All of a sudden, I see this big black man walking across the dance floor and comes to right up against where I'm, I'm leaning back up against the bar and sits, uh, basically stands beside me and he's towering over me. He's big, he's muscled, muscular, and he orders a drink. And I look around and I go, holy shit, it's a Vander Holyfield. And he looks sideways to me and he goes, yes, I am, brother. And uh, what's your name? And, I said, and I'm standing going, oh my God, it's a Vander Holyfield. I kept, kept saying, it's a Vander Holyfield. And he laughed and he goes, yes, brother, I'm a Vander. And I shook his hand and I said, holy Oh, so what are you doing? He goes, I'm here for the Olympics, man. There's, there's boxing across the road. We're over doing some commentating and hanging out and rah, rah. And so we start talking. I'm talking. I'm standing at the Cave Nightclub. I think it was called the Cave. Uh, downstairs in the, in the Star Casino in Sydney. And I'm talking to Evander Holyfield. This man, uh, you know, I, I'd watched earlier in 1997, you know, defeat the, the great Mike Tyson in a fight. And then you know, fought him again and, and, and go, he got disqualified because he bit his ears off. So I'm standing there going, oh my God, this is the warrior. This is like, you know, the real deal, Evander Holyfield. And I look at him and I said, um, so can I see your ears? <laughs> <laughs> and he gives me the biggest smile. I kid you not. And he leans right down to me and he goes, there, look, brother, have a look. And I touch his ears. I, t I touch the ears that Mike Tyson bit. And when you're full of rum... Bundaberg rum, you are not scared of anything or anybody, and you say some of the dumbest things you've ever said. And I looked at him and I went, He didn't buy too much out, maybe. <laughs> and I looked and I said, Can I get a photo with you? And back then, I used to carry around these Fuji Insta cameras, and I said, Can I please get a photo with you? And he goes, Yeah, brother, no worries. So I get a photo with him. I get a photo with Vander Holyfield, me and my Fuji Insta camera, um, while I'm standing there talking to him about his ears that Mike Tyson bit off. And uh, we started talking about Tyson. I said, I'm a big fan of Tyson. I really wanted him to knock you out. And he goes, oh, thanks, brother. I said, I'm a big fan of yours too, but you know, I'm glad, you know, good that you won and stuff. And he goes, he goes, you know, Mike, we all love him. 
He said, but he's the most scariest human being on the earth. He goes, I'm just lucky I got out of that fight alive. He said, I love fighting. Mike actually is fighting. He lives for it. That's what he is. He said, um, I fight in the ring, I get out and, and that's it. But Mike will fight you outside. He, he was saying to me that, you know, in the boxing world, a lot of people, a lot of boxers wouldn't associate him, were very scared of him because he just had this aura about him that he was going to knock you out at any time, anywhere, any place, not even inside a ring. And that was a, it was a really deep, like, I can't believe I was having a deep conversation, drunk on Bundaberg rum at the Sydney Olympic with Evander Holyfield. And I said, uh, you get on with any other boxers, like your friends with other fellows that you fought? He goes, I am actually. He goes, a friend, a brother of mine's coming here right now, so that's who I'm waiting for. And I literally, I kid you not, walking across the dance floor, there's another bigger black man, bigger than Evander, and he walked up and I said, oh my God. Comes and stands in front of us, him and Evander hug, looks me down, and it's Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis at the Sydney Olympics. And I'm standing here with two giants of the boxing world with my Bundaberg rum in hand and my Fuji camera and nobody else around. And I'm going, this is crazy. Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield with Alec Dormagy at the Sydney Olympics. True story. You would not believe it, but it happened. And I was there and I was present and I was pretty drunk on Bundaberg rum. So we start talking about boxing, and, and I'm hearing Lennox and, and, and uh, Vanda have this banter, and you know, they're talking about their fights, and they're talking about you know, the Tysons and whatnot. And, and it's just, it was an amazing moment that I've ever had. Like I've, I've never met big-name boxing stars. I mean, I've, you know, Mundine's a brother of mine. I've met Daniel Gill, some of, some of our more. But this was you know, two colossal giants. These are, these are going to be hall. They're Hall of Famers. You know, Tyson, there's an era where there was Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, I'll p- probably put Riddick Bowen in that same, same category. These fellas rule the heavyweight division. And, you know, he, they're, they're all on, to me, they're all on pedestals. And, and I was standing there with them at the Sydney Olympics. And that was one of the most profound and most important moments of my life. Because all of a sudden, again, not did I just see that I belong, but I saw that I could hold a conversation with international stars and with people with such big names and have a conversation away from work and be able to talk world politics and something that I loved, boxing. It was, it was a night again that, that you know, I was 24 years old at the Sydney Olympics um, 2000, and it made me feel like I had a bigger purpose and a bigger, uh, I guess a bigger role, not just in Australian society, but in the international society, I guess, on an international stage. So in my drunken stupor, I said, thank you to Evander and thank you to Lennox. And I went on my way and I went up to, I went up to after, I, after I got my photo, I got the barman to take a photo of me and Lennox um, and, and Evander together. I'm going to try not to dig these out because there's somewhere amongst all my storage, but I do have photos, I remember, from my little Fuji camera. There was the Fuji used to do them and, and uh, I think, what's the other mob? Um, the little yellow cameras, not Canon, was it Canon? Uh, you know, yeah, it might have been Canon. But they used, to, they used to do these little Insta cameras back before... You had phones that took photos and selfies and Instagram stuff. Back then, there was these Insta cameras. And all you kids that don't know what they are, Google it. You'll see what I'm talking about. They're little cameras that you could take photos. Uh, you couldn't get them straight away. You'd take them in later on and get them, get them printed at a, at a Photoshop. So the next day, um, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I'm the new father of a, of a baby girl, Brooklyn Dumaji. Um, she's a week or something old. She was born while I was in the Olympics. Um, Zachy boy, my, my son's home. He's two years old. And, and mother to girls back in... Back in um, back in Mad Eyes at the time, and I'm, I'm having the time of my life in Sydney, and I'm working, I'm living, I'm breathing, I'm, I'm living, my, living my dream. <clears throat> a, a French film crew, believe it or not, comes out to our radio broadcast headquarters 
out at Kerenari Aboriginal Hostel out, at, out, near, Cronulla, out near Cronulla. Kerenari Aboriginal Hostel. That's where we were set up and that's where we are doing our broadcast live from there around the country on the National Indigenous Radio Service. So they, they get in contact with Tiger and they say, look, we want to follow someone around to talk, do a story about Kathy Freeman because she's running and she's going to be racing against one of ours from, from France, you know, uh, uh, Jose Perez, uh, Perez uh, I think her name, uh, I can't remember, her name is Perez, or Prek, Prek, and And it was a big showdown because in 1996, Kathy Freeman uh, just got beaten, got pipped at the post by Perec in the, in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. And I remember being in Dumaji. I was in Dumaji and the entire community, everybody had a television, had Kathy Freeman's race on. And we were all willing her home to win and jumping around <clears throat> in our lounge rooms. And I remember Kathy was in front with the last 100 metres go and she was striving and she was working hard to get there. And every Aboriginal person, every Aboriginal kid, man, woman, elder, you know, old people were shouting and yelling and screaming. Doomadji was going off. My Aboriginal community, 996 of Doomadji, was Kathy Freeman's home. We were going, this is our Kathy, our girl. She's going to win a gold medal for us. You know, this is amazing. And she just gets pipped at the post by Prick, the French woman. Just got her. And not only did it break all of our hearts, but it inspired us to ride with her and fight with her for the next four years till the Sydney Olympics. So we watched Kathy go from losing, or I shouldn't say losing, because she came second and she, she ran her heart out. But we watched her go from doing that to then in 1998, beating Perec and beating everybody at the World Championships and showing that she, she was a champion and she had the quality and the warrior spirit that our people had installed in her and that she was riding on the waves and standing on the shoulders of great warriors that have gone before her. So she was our, she was our poster child. She, not just our poster child, she was our poster woman. She was our warrior woman that was representing the Aboriginal race of this country and to show the world that we have sporting prowess too and that we can run and that we can jump and that we can fight and we can... Do. And, and she was the representation of that at the Sydney Olympics. So to come from that four years ago in Doomadji working for the BRAC system, the Broadcasting and Remote Aboriginal Community Scheme, 20 years old to four years later being a 24-year-old broadcasting on the National Indigenous Radio Service in Sydney to a national audience and having a French television crew on hand. Tiger Bales goes, you need to follow Alec Dumaji around, he says to his French crew. They're going to, and he comes to me and he goes, this French crew going to follow you around, you're going to do a Cathy Freeman story. It's all about Kathy, and they want to follow an Aboriginal person and ask his opinions of it. So they did this story about me. She did this story on Kathy, uh, Kathy Freeman, and 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 followed me around uh, uh, the Sydney Olympics. And and one of my thoughts, we went to the protest site of Victoria Park, where we shot there, and we asked some of the mob there, and I was interviewing people about Kathy while they were in the, while they were filming me. So it was kind of a me doing my job, working for the National Indigenous Radio Service, asking people how they feel because Kathy is about to have this big showdown. With Perec. As we all know, and as history will tell us, Perec did a runner. She took off before the finals and she went back to France. Um, I remember going out <clears throat> to, the, to the race and the French crew were there with me and they were filming me. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this race. Actually, it was, it was one, of the, one of the semis and I'm talking about how amazing it's going to be. And then we all get back to Kerinari for the big race, all of us. All the blackfellas from the National Indigenous Radio Service, all in the country, were all at Karenari Aboriginal Hostel. And it's Kathy's big race. It's the night of Kathy, Kathy Freeman's race. Freeman, 
Freeman. We're all chanting. We're all yelling. The, the, the Olympic Stadium is packed. 110,000 people with millions around Australia and billions around the world watching this one young Aboriginal woman represent a nation and go up against the world's best in the 400-meter finals of the Sydney Olympics and running for gold. And her arch-rival the day before did a runner. Now, think about that for a minute. The psychological, I guess, uh, obstacle that w- would have put in her, f- in her face, the one woman that she wanted to beat, the one woman that she wanted to show the world that she's better than, which she did at the, at the, at the world champion. She did. She, did. she beat her. She beat her fair and square a couple of times. So it wasn't like it wasn't going to happen. Kathy was on a different level this night. We wait for Kathy to come out, and she comes out in a spacesuit. Oh, my God. You should have, oh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now. Kathy comes out in a spacesuit. And every member of our National Indigenous Radio team are sitting and we're crying and we've got goosebumps and we're jumping around. I've got the Aboriginal flag draped around me. I'm, I'm so proud to be from the Aboriginal nation. I'm so proud to be a Wani, Gato, a Gunglet, a man down in Sydney with my countrymen and family from around the country that work in the media as well. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, this is the moment. Our sister, our auntie, our, our cousin, our family is going to show the world how deadly we are. That's the word. How deadly we are. How deadly she's going to make us look. She's in a spacesuit and it just blows our mind. She's from another world. She's from another planet. She's from the Aboriginal race. She's announcing herself. Oh my God, I'm getting, I'm getting teary. She's announcing herself and announcing us. Announcing our mob. This is how much it meant to us. And this is how much to this day it still means to me. It was 21 years ago and I'm getting teary thinking about it because it made me feel important it made me belong it made me feel like i was someone and the gun goes off and kathy's off and she's running and she's in a spacesuit and she's just soaring she's gliding like a gazelle she's just coming around the corner she reminds me of you know those guanas when you chase them out bush and then i look again and i see an emu running and those long legs are striding and her arms are just going and I'm looking up to the sky and I'm thinking to myself, this is our moment, this is, our, this is the woman that's carrying the hopes of us, her dreams, to the world. And I see every single totem and ancestor in her as she's running around. I see the guana, I see the emu, I see the kangaroo hopping. And for a moment, for that 49 seconds or whatever the hell it was, the world stops and it slows down and Kathy is just Kathy. And if you ask anybody, you ask any Aboriginal person in this country where they were that night, they'll tell you they were watching Kathy Freeman on TV. Because we were, we were at the Kerinari Aboriginal Hostel out at Cronulla. Tiger Bells yelling and screaming. Blinda Miller doing back somersault. Kerry Klim shouting and going, oh, my sister girl. Man, we had some good times. Some of the people I met there. Tanya Denning was even there. Tanya Denning was part, believe it. If you don't know who Tanya Denning is, she's the CEO of National Indigenous Radio Service. She was part of our crew, part of our National Indigenous Radio Service crew. And Kathy rounds the corner. And she's got a couple of people hanging on her. She comes to the 200-meter mark, and she starts pulling away. She gets to the 100-meter mark, and she keeps pulling away. And we're all watching and the camera spans to the family in the crowd, and you see the Aboriginal flag. 50 meters ago, and Kathy's lifting, and she's getting strong. She's not getting weaker. And it just feels like this was inevitable. It just feels like, oh my God, Kathy Freeman is our champion. She's a people's champion. And for that one moment, everything stopped. 
with 20 meters to go, and she's almost over the line. And she hits that line, and I can tell you right now, and I'm crying, I'm not ashamed to say it. A collective sigh of relief around this country and around the world went, <sighs> she did it. And she did the same thing. I seen her exhale, and she breathed, and she sat with her moment, and she took off her spacesuit headgear, and it just she just shone for that moment. Kathy Freeman was us. We were her. In the words of Muhammad Ali, Kathy Freeman, me, we. That's what she represented that night. That was such a big moment in Aboriginal relationships in this country. That's such a big moment for Aboriginal rights in this country. That was such a big moment for Aboriginal recognition in this country. That was such a big night for Aboriginal representation on the world stage. We had arrived with Kathy. Well, that moment we arrived in the sporting field, in the sporting arena, but on the political spectrum as well, we had arrived. And in the media world, we had arrived. And the business world, we had arrived. And the music world, the arts, we had arrived. We were finally on the world stage. Our dance, our music, our culture, our sporting prowess, our business, our, 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 our way of doing things. We were entrepreneurs. We were rocket scientists. We could have been anything that night. Kathy made us that. Kathy did something else for about 50 seconds that night. She made Australia one for the first time in 200 and probably 30 years or whatever it was. For 20 years, it was 204. Yeah, about 220 years. So 200 for that one night, for 50 seconds, she made us one. And she did it. And she did it her way. And to me, there was no greater sporting moment than that moment then. When Kathy Freeman made Australia one for 50 seconds, or 49 seconds, let's, let's give her that. I think it was 49 or 48.1 or whatever it was. Again, it was such a profound moment for me. It was a moment where I will never forget. It's a moment where um, it had such an impact on me and it changed the way I thought, it changed the way I behaved and it changed the way I treat people and it changed the way I look at white Australians, it changed the way I looked at white people. It certainly hasn't changed my warrior Aboriginal spirit. But what I do is I use my art, I use my talent, I use my, I guess, um, bit of knowledge and wisdom, and, and I hope I got wisdom, and I guess media now to scratch the surface and dig deeper and get into the real issues and problems that we're facing in this country. And that's what's real to me, and that's what's important to me. <sighs> and that was my Sydney Olympic experience in the year 2000. Needless to say, after that night, we all cried, we all hugged, we spoke about our dreams and what we wanted to do. And Tiger Bells looked me in the eye and he said to me, you're getting too big for Mount Isa. You need to be in Brisbane with me. So I'd like you to move to Brisbane and work for me. And, um, and I think that's where you belong and you'll, you'll go from there and let's start talking. Unbeknownst to me, he'd already been talking to uh, Terry Lees and Patty Lees about me and Mount Isa and they'd already made the decision that Alec Dumwood, you needed to move to Brisbane to work with Tiger Bells at 90 at 9 FM. I'm very honoured he thought so highly of me. I stopped into Brisbane on the way back with him and sat with Arnie Maureen Watson, his mother, and she told me the same thing. He said, Bob, you're our next generation. You need to move down here and work with us and, and, and learn from Tiger and learn from Uncle Ross Watson and Uncle Charlie Watson and all the family here. So go home, do your business, pack up and come down. Um, it was important that I had that, that recognition, I guess, that, that um, 
but inspiration from Tiger and the crew at the at the Sydney Olympics and the National Indigenous Radio Service. So uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who was a part of that team. Thank you to the nurse team. Thank you to all my colleagues that was down there and the experience that we shared together. It was a moment in time that you'll never get back or you'll never capture again. It was 21 years ago. Most of all, you know, I want to thank my family. I want to thank uh, my ex-partner, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Cubby, who gave birth to our daughter, Brooklyn, while I was not there and took care of our kids at home in Mount Isa and struggled to keep the home paid and the bills and the food and the babies fed while I was away living my dream. I want to thank her for that because she gave me an opportunity to go off and find who I was. So, Elizabeth, if you're listening in, thank you, my friend. You'll always be a part of my life because of our children, and I appreciate the time that we did have together as as a as a uh, I guess um, couple and, and as a, as a married couple as a family. And it taught me to be a better man. It taught me to be a better person, and it changed the way I feel and the way and what I do these days. And you know, in those early days when I was when we, when we were in our twenties, you were you were the mother. You were taking care of those babies, and it was because of that that I had the opportunity to go off to the Sydney Olympics. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Ah, okay. I bet you guess what happened next. I went home to my new baby girl, Brooklyn Dumaji, who's now the big movie star from Top End Wedding. So, well, when we come back to the next episode, I think that's enough now. We're, we're out of time here at Phoenix Rising, the Alec Dumaji Chronicles. Very emotional one today, just talking about the Sydney Olympics. I hope you're enjoying these stories, these anecdotes and these tales and these lived experience, experiences that I've had because they're my truth and, and it's what happened to me and I'm glad to share them with you. Um, Again, I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit teary and just thinking about these things, but thank you all very much. I'll say maraganyi to you, Mob, now, and I'll, I'll leave you be. Um, I've been playing a lot of music from this young man called Kay Phillips, uh, Christopher Phillips. Kay Phillips is a young blues country, uh, I guess, troubadour, songwriter, folksy singer from Dallas, Texas, and I had him at the 2018 Gulf Country Fronty Days Music Festival. Um, festival, it's not a music festival, just festival because we had dance and everything else as well. He was at a 2018 festival, and I fell in love, I fall in love with his music, and, and I've been playing a fair bit of his music. I'm going to play one of his now called Sheriff's Wife. Um, you can download his stuff from iTunes. You can check him out. And I'll put a call out now to any of you other artists out there. I, I, I love artists that aren't signed to big labels, so I don't have to be rushing around paying you know, royalties and all that sort of stuff. So if you're looking for an opportunity to get your music out on the air, or out, out on the, the world stage, please get in contact with me. Send me a Facebook message, um, and I'll be happy to play your music here on Phoenix Rising. Uh, I played Glenn Skewthorpe, my brother Glenn, uh, last time. I love Glenn's music. He's got amazing uh, um, albums out. That song was called Moon Rising. Here's, um, here's Kay Phillips to take us out. This is Sheriff's Wife. This is such a cool, grungy, kind of um, dark song about Kay Phillips's upbringing over in Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And a story about this song was, I think, uh, had to do, do a lot with his uh, stepfather. So we might get Kay on here one day and, and have an interview with him, but... Um, Thank you very much. Mardaganya Gunderman. Mardaganya to all you mob. Here's Kay Phillips, Sheriff's Wife. Phoenix Rising. See you next time. Mardaganya. You. We're gone tonight. I'll dress like that. Who you going out with When you're coming back It sure be a shame Something happened to you The sheriff's bride 
Where you're gone tonight? Where you're gone tonight? 